and then sit back down. Let's open our Bibles. Just one person, guys. Just one person. Let's have a seat. This never works. This never works. My goodness. Unbelievable. It is awesome to be together tonight uh, as a Greater Long Beach Church. I hope that we're ready to get into the scriptures a little bit. Um, I do want to extend just a very deep-hearted uh, thank you and express gratitude for everyone who was able to serve last weekend at the conference as an usher, as registration. I really, really want to thank you so much. Uh, people were so excited to be in Long Beach, and uh, what an awesome time together. And then it was an amazing, it was amazing because you had that, we had this Friday, Saturday, con Friday, Saturday, Sunday conference, and then on Monday, on Veterans Day, to see a bunch of disciples at the VA serving the veterans for Veterans Day and having a great time serving food and uh, just serving our, our, our heroes, right, in our, in our, in our nation. And so... I just want to commend the church. This is an incredibly serving and generous church. Thank you. Thank you so much for inspiring us uh, continually. Amen. I, uh, we had an incredible morning this morning with uh, some of the new Christians that have been baptized since June, July this year. And uh, one girl came who had just gotten baptized this morning about an hour before we met. Her name is Abby from Cal State North uh, Long Beach. Right here, Abby, why don't you go ahead and stand up, our new sister in the Lord. It's really encouraging. And then, um, you know, we, uh, I know through Facebook, we've probably heard this great news, but um, Stephen Shonda Stevenson, who served as ministers here for the Greater Long Beach Church for eight, uh, eight, eight plus years, uh, just moved to New Jersey last year, and uh, their teenage daughter, Summer, was baptized today, and that's a picture of Summer right there and I just thought it'd be special to show this this is you know obviously we uh, the church here we love Steve and Shonda very much uh, they built an incredible uh, ministry here in Long Beach and God's using them in a great way in New Jersey and their oldest daughter Summer who many of you served in Kids Kingdom and all this kind of stuff is baptized today so very encouraging encouraging time let's go to God in prayer and uh, we're going to get into the scriptures here God, thank you so much for this time. Open our hearts and our minds to understand more and more uh, how we are to serve you, give to you, love you, live for you, God. Uh, thank you for Jesus, and thank you that sin does not master us anymore. Uh, Father, thank you so much that uh, Jesus is Lord of our lives. He's our master. He's our king. And I pray that our lives would be under his reign forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We have begun a new worship series a couple weeks ago called The Treasure Principle. And we spoke about how our approach to money and possessions is directly related to our spiritual condition. It's why John the Baptist in the New Testament goes around and, and he uses the attitude and perspective that we have about money to describe what a repentant life looks like. And why Jesus, and it's also why Jesus himself talks about money. More, and possessions more than heaven and hell combined. This is a theme in the Bible and a theme that the Son of God himself talked about many times that we've got to wrestle with. We've got to understand. We've got to 
I get a new perspective on. We read the scriptures a couple weeks ago. We, we discovered a parable in Matthew 13 where Jesus himself describes the kingdom as a treasure being found by a stranger who goes back and he sells everything he has in order to purchase the land where the treasure is hidden. And we learned about how the kingdom, this treasure was so important and special and incredible to this man that it changed his whole life. It changed how he viewed his possessions to the point where he was willing to sell everything in order to get it. And we read how this describes, Jesus talks about this is how it is to find the kingdom of God. When we find the kingdom, there's nothing more important than living under the reign of Christ. I'm not talking about being a part of the church. The kingdom is way bigger than just the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering. This is a lifestyle we're talking about, a relationship we're talking about. This is what Jesus says he wants with us. He says it's a treasure of incredible value where it'll change everything in your life to live under the reign of Christ. The treasure principle we we talked about uh, that we're going to be discovering here and, and analyzing and going through in the next couple of weeks. And, and, apparent, and, 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 of course, and, and it's important to talk about this in this time of the year when Thanksgiving's coming up and Christmas is coming up and you have all this stuff pulling out our attention in different ways, material possessions and wanting to get the right gift for everybody and all this kind of stuff. And then in January, you're struggling because you have all this credit card debt that you wouldn't, didn't expect to have. Are you guys with me here? You, you've been there. I, I think that you've been there. I've been there. Um, the treasure principle uh, uh, that we talked about is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. When we have this perspective, our approach to how we handle money completely changes. Instead of being so attached to things and to items and to gadgets, we realize that we can't take it with us. And when we start viewing it as, as that, as we cannot take this with us, it's easy to just, it, we, it changes our perspective. Let's give it away. Let's send it on ahead. But why is this so important to get? I'll tell you why. It's because we love things. We love comfort. We love money. Money, 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 money. You know what I mean? We love it. You know, it's interesting when you don't have money, you think that if, the, that if you only had more money, it would fix everything. I remember talking to a young man one time, and he convinced me. I was mentoring him, and he was going through a difficult time in his life, and he said, man, if I just had X amount more money, it would change everything. And in my mind, I'm listening to him. I'm like, yeah, you're, pro you're right. I'm like agreeing with him. This is the pull. It was hard for me to like help him spiritually because... At that moment, I'm like, dude, you're totally right. Let's go make that money, dude. You know? I mean, this is... I've had to grow in this thinking. We love things, comfort, money. When we don't have enough, that's all we can think about. If only I had more, it would fix everything. And then he talked to P. Diddy and Mace and, and, and Biggie Smalls, and they say, more money, more problems. Right? That's a song I... Anyway, never mind. Never mind. Maybe it's the wrong crowd. This side? <laughs> Camp, campus, maybe campus knows? Anyways. But how many people do we know that have a lot of money and they say, man, 
It's just the more money you have, the more issues you're going to have. The more problems you're going to have, the more people are going to be asking you stuff, the more, the, the more things you're juggling. Money and things can drive us crazy. And the Bible says, Paul writes to the young evangelist in Ephesus, Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is so huge. The love of money. It's not the root of all evil. It's a root of, of, of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money. It's our relationship with money that leads to all sorts of grief if we're not careful. We got drama in our lives if we're not careful with our relationship with money. And I know today there are many here who are sitting here in this audience who are going to leave here thinking about all the debt that has been accrued over the years and how in the world am I going to make this out? It just weighs heavy. And you may smile and you may give the high fives, but you know when you're at home all by yourself, you're just like, you're sinking. How am I going to pay this off? How am I going to deal with this? It robs faith, joy. I know there are people in here who have seen family members destroyed because of financial hardship or, or irresponsibility. And you know, this applies to the young men and women here too. Teenagers, students, college students. I'm telling you, if you get this stuff right now, it will save you from so much drama in the future. There are so many adults who wish somebody would have opened the scriptures with them at a young age and not just help them in their life to become a disciple, but help them to have a proper respect and perspective on possessions and material things. So college students, don't tune me out. This is for you as much as for anybody else. Teenagers, you're like, I only have a dollar in my pocket. Don't treat that dollar with respect. You know what I'm saying? There are, I know for myself, if I had more of this attitude and understood what we're going to talk about tonight more and more, I would have treated money differently when Marina and I first got married. I had an appropriate perspective growing up in the third world, in the mission field, and seeing poverty and, and, and understanding that I, I don't need things, but not being a math person and a detail-oriented person, I just... You know, the, the budgeting and the line items and all, the, the responsibility of managing. We got ourselves into trouble. Out of control sort of spending, not knowing where we're spending our money. You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying? And so I, I know, man, as I'm studying this stuff out, it's, it's inspiring me and convicting me even more in my own family how Marina and I need to do better. And we've made some changes, repented even this year with the help of Vincent Nicole Robertson and other people, we, we've been making changes. But I'm just telling you, 
without a proper perspective, man, it can weigh us down. You guys with me here? There's six keys that we're going to talk about, not tonight, but over the couple, next couple of weeks. Six keys to the treasure principle that we're going to uncover in the next few weeks. Today we're talking about key number one. God owns everything. I am merely his money manager. Next slide. Next slide. God, right, God owns everything. Write this down. You need to write this down. Take out your phones. Take out your notepads. Whatever you have. Treasure principle key number one. God owns everything. I'm just a money manager. Look at these verses here just to explain and, and kind of get a broad perspective here. Job 41 verse 11. Everything under heaven belongs to me. How much belongs to him? Everything. How much, church? Everything belongs to God. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. How much is God's? Everything. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8, says the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord Almighty. Everything is God's. He is the owner. You know, for some of us here that are that maybe don't know if we believe in God or don't know if we believe in the scriptures or are figuring out our faith. I'll tell you this. Imagine thinking of something that's yours now. And then eventually it won't be yours at the end of the day. When you're gone, it's not going to be yours. So you may have difficulty in understanding the scriptures or, or God or thinking spiritual thoughts or these kind of things or have a lot of questions, but it applies to all of us. Something that's ours now, it won't be ours when we're gone. The silver is God's. The gold is his. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Not just things, but Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So not only is everything God's, but also the ability to create wealth and make money belongs to God. And he's only giving it to you, lending it to you so that you can make your money. Does that, does that make sense? And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have made a decision, I'm going to follow Christ as a disciple of Jesus, as, as, and Jesus is Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. When we start thinking this way and understanding, I, I'm just a manager. I'm not an owner. Not even the ability to make money is mine. And it changes our approach to money. Now, if God is the owner and I'm just the manager, I need to adopt a steward's mentality towards the assets he's entrusted, not given. He hasn't given this stuff to me. He's entrusted me with. I need to develop a manager's mentality, a steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. He or she carries no sense of entitlement to the assets that he manages. 
It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then carry out the owner's will. He doesn't think, this is my stuff. He thinks all day long about how to best invest the owner's money. You know how it is when you borrow some, something from somebody versus when you own it? Like my kids, for example. Um, like Bella. You know, I know Bella, my five-year-old, how she treats her toys versus when she borrows somebody else's toys. You know what I mean? Like, hey, she's in kindergarten. Do this, they do this thing in kindergarten where they give her a teddy bear or they give each kid a teddy bear to take care of for the week or for the day, right? They call it the osito, you know, because she goes to Spanish school. Osito. So you got to take osito home, and you got to put him in the backpack and take him home, and you're taking care. And Bella brings osito home, and she's so excited. She's like, I was chosen to take care of osito today. And she comes home all excited, and she's laying him out on the bed and making sure, Dad, no, don't touch him, Dad. You know, she's taking care of him. But then, like, all her Barbies are thrown around everywhere and, like, you know, all messed up and everything like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, we know what it is. When, we borrow, when, you, when you borrow something that's mine, you better take care of it, right? If we allow somebody, like if we have a dog or a pet and we want them to come over, we're going to go out of town, we want you to dog sit. I, I'm not a dog owner. I'm not a pet person. But I'm just saying, if, I can't, if you came over to watch my dog for a few days while I was out of town, there is a level of pressure that you're going to feel because it's not your dog, right? It's my dog. If you mess up my dog, I'm going to come back and bring the wrath, right? But we understand what I'm saying. It, there's a difference when we're managing somebody else's stuff versus how we treat some of our own stuff at times. Once, a distraught man rode his horse up to John Wesley, the famous theologian, shouting, Mr. Wesley, something terrible happened. Your house burned down to the ground. Wesley thought about the news, then calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Think about it. Wesley's reaction wasn't denial. It was a bold affirmation of reality. God is the owner of all things, and we are simply his managers, his stewards, his investment managers. This is not my house. This is God's house, and it burned up. Well, that's on God, and it's less responsibility for me. What? <laughs> we are God's money managers. And at the end of our term of service, we will undergo a job performance evaluation. Romans 14, verse 10. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. God will ask, well, what did you do with my money? What did you do with my time that I gave you? What did you do with my resources that I allowed you to have, my gifts, my talents that I gave you in order to for you that I not gave you, that I entrusted you with? What did you do with it? God has something to say about where to put his money. You guys want to know? You, you guys want to 
explore with me what God wants to do with his money? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says here, God loves a cheerful giver. I guess I didn't have the verse in there, but it says God loves a cheerful giver. When we sit in a circle and talk about our giving, the words that should come up are fun, joy, exciting, wonderful, amazing. This is so cool that we get to do this. But it doesn't mean that we should only give when we are feeling cheerful. The cheerfulness often only comes during and after the act of obedience, not before it. So don't just wait until you feel like giving. That could be a long wait. God doesn't want a bitter and angry giver. He wants a cheerful giver. He says, oh, you don't want to give right now? That's fine. Keep it. I'll just get it later. You guys with me here? I mean, God, God doesn't mess around. This is his money. So what are you doing with it? He wants a cheerful giver. If we don't give, we rob ourselves of the joy of giving. Now, think about uh, just the excitement of, of giving that gift to that special someone. You've been thinking about it. You've been, you know, you, you saved up for it. You went and got it. You wrapped it up. You're kind of anticipating the day to give her that special gift or give him that special gift or give your kid. that. You know what I'm saying? You just can't wait because you've thought about it. You've prayed about it. You've you love to give. You, we, we know the joy of giving. We know going to the VA. You know, when you go to the VA and you serve, there's a joy that comes with that. When we're able to see that, our, that what we're giving is affecting and changing lives, man, there's a joy in giving. Check out the Macedonian Christians. They understood the joy of giving in this verse here. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, you've got to ask yourself, how does severe trial, overflowing joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity all fit in one verse? Severe trial, overflowing joy. Extreme poverty, rich generosity. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, guys, Macedonia, I, 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 they're, they're overflowing with joy. They're extremely poor, and yet they're rich in generosity. How do they all fit together? Well, it's all about giving. It's the joy of giving. These impoverished Christians found no greater joy than giving. The Macedonians refused to let hard circumstances keep them from joy. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, it says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They had to plead. Paul was like, no, you guys have enough issues on your own. Don't, don't give. You need to take care of your own. But these guys said that they were pleading, Paul! Let me give. We want to give. Our brothers and sisters in Judea are suffering. 
We want to give to help meet the need. They pleaded because they understood the joy of giving. They saw it as a privilege. Now think about this idea. We are most like God when we're giving. We're most like God when we're giving. Is God not the greatest giver? We want to be more. You want to be more like God? Give. Grow in your giving. Start sharing things, passing things around to help other people. Think about this idea. Gaze upon Jesus long enough and you'll become more and more of a giver. In other words, if you look at Jesus and you just kind of immerse yourself in Jesus, you'll become more and more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll be more, become more like Christ. There was no greater giver than Jesus. He gave it all for us, amen? We can't outgive Christ. But the owner, the owner of the resources says, Take care of my money. Give it. Give it away. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. What started this desire to give that the Macedonian Christians were experiencing? It says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So, how did they respond to God's grace, forgiveness, mercy? How did they respond? By giving. By giving to the needy Christians in Judea. As thunder, look at this next slide here. As thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. Think about this concept. You know, I grew up in South Florida and I lived for a year in Puerto Rico. And in the tropics, you know, you have these intense thunderstorms, right? And it's like, it, but it's, it's funny, like it'll be dark and like Lord of the Rings gloomy all over you and like a block away it's super sunny and nice it's kind of weird but these these thunderstorms are intense these huge lightning bolts and then the loud thunder and we we don't get that a lot here in california but over there in florida and puerto rico and some of these you get this stuff it's intense as thunder follows lightning giving follows grace If you're not willing to give or not actively giving, I question if the grace of God has entered your heart and changed your life. It's very convicting and challenging for me to think about this concept. If I'm not giving, if I'm having a hard time giving, do I really understand God's grace? Because according to this passage... God's grace led to giving. Generosity comes from an understanding that, and gratitude for God's grace. The one who is constantly giving is one who is in tune and understands that what he or she has is not even theirs. It belongs to God. So how can I give? What can I give? Who needs to be given to is what the person is asking and searching for. Jesus' grace defines, motivates, and puts Everything in perspective puts our giving in perspective. When you think about this passage, this verse here in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. 
so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Our giving is a reflexive response to the grace of God in our lives. It doesn't come out of selflessness or benevolence. It comes out of the transforming work of Christ in our lives. His grace is the action. Our giving is the reaction. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to give? I mean, it, it could just be driving down the street and you see a, a, a person asking, begging for money. Don't worry what they're going to do with it. You can't control that. But what you can control is, are you going to give? You have control over your giving. And it's more than just money. It's how can I help? How can I serve in the community? How can I serve in the church? How can I build up people? What else can I do to serve? You know, a lot of times we can sit here and have and, and come up with all the negative things, all the things that we're not doing as a church. It's very interesting. I actually have a list of 20 things that we're not doing as a church. It's easy. That's easy. I can sit in the back. I can sit in the middle. I can sit in the front and come up with all the stuff that we're not doing as a church. It's very different, though, to come up and say, here are some great ideas of what we can be doing as a church. And you know what? I'm actually going to take charge and do one of them. Instead of waiting for Reuben to say, go for it. I'm just going to do it. But you see, when we understand God's grace, and we understand the grace of, of Jesus, that through his poverty became, we became rich, our Reflex is, I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. I'm going to build. I'm going to be used by God to provide solutions, inspiration, ideas, different ministries starting, whatever it takes. You guys with me here? You know, in this, there's this movie. Let's go to the next slide here. Next one. There's this movie um, called Chariots of Fire. And uh, can you, what, you have the, yeah, you got to keep on. This guy, Eric Liddell, British runner in 1924, um, was an Olympian racer, and he didn't, uh, he's popular because of his religious beliefs. He's a, he was a Christian, and he said, uh, you know, the 100-meter race is on a Sunday. Well, I'm worshiping on a Sunday, so I'm not going to race that race. That was his best event. So he ended up racing in the 400-meter, ended up winning that race. But he was a very curious runner because he would run, like, with his head up and his mouth wide open. And people were like, this guy is, is strange. But he said something. Um, in an interview or, or somewhere, he said, I believe God made me for a purpose. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, for him, running was a spiritual act. You know, I think for you and I, and, and I think what, what this concept is, is, it rings true in my heart. When we truly understand this treasure principle, we could say the same thing. When I give, I feel his pleasure. When I give, I feel 
His pleasure. What is it that God has created us to do where we feel His pleasure? You know, God clearly calls us to give. For all of us, it's not just, well, I'm called to do this and I'm called to do that. No, we're all called to give. And when we give, we feel his pleasure. Now, God, the owner, tells us. Since it's his money and we're his money managers, where we should give. So I want to make it very clear for us. And number one, two places where we should where we need to give. Number one is to God. Numbers 18, verse 24 says, God said, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. Notice that the people gave their money to God, not to the Levites. It may have looked like the people were giving to their spiritual leaders, but they actually gave to God. And then it was God who then designated, turned around and said, here's this money for and resources for the Levites. This was God's perspective. It's to him, not directly to the spiritual leaders. When we give, we don't give to the church. We give to God. Amen. For me personally, I get to do what I do, what I'm called to do in preaching the gospel because of the offerings here in the church. All of our ministry staff gets to do what we do because of the offering. But you're not giving to us. You're not giving to the ministry staff. That's what this passage is saying. You're giving to God. And in reality, we don't even touch the money. We have a group that counts everything and deposits everything. And we have another group who determines the the staff salaries and all that kind of stuff. And we do this on purpose. We don't want to deal with all this stuff. We just want to serve God. That's our calling. We give to God. And then what God does with the tithes is he turns around and takes care of of his spiritual leadership. Giving is a spiritual act of worship. God, the owner of all, says that he wants us as his money managers to make sure we give back to him. Are you guys with me here? This is a very, we've got to understand this. Sometimes we can get cynical. Sometimes we can get sarcastic. Like, oh yeah, they're just doing this lesson because they want us to give more. So we, get Satan out of your mind. That's a lie that the father of lies is telling you. We have set up in the church for money matters to be handled by other people. So that I can be freed up to just preach the words and help people and serve people. Are you guys with me here? It's a spiritual act of worship. Number two, and lastly, where does God want us to give to the poor and needy? Turn your Bibles, Isaiah 58. We're going, to cl- we're going to read this verse and then one more, and then we're going to pray. For Isaiah 58, in the Old Testament, in verse 6, God is talking about what fasting, the kind of fasting that He commands. And Isaiah 58, in verse 6, says, is, this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is not to share your food with the hungry. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord 
will be your, your, rear, your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here am I. God says that His willingness to answer prayers is directly affected by whether we are caring for the hungry, the needy, and the oppressed. When you read in the book of Acts, the first Gentile convert, his name was Cornelius. He got God's attention in Acts chapter 10. He got his attention because of his prayer and giving to the poor and needy. You want to empower your prayer life and get it better? And get God listening to you? Give to the poor and needy. Church, we have so many opportunities this season. So many opportunities. I appreciate Rick and Donna Mark so much coordinating all our efforts to serve the poor and needy in our community. Amen. We have so many activities to get our church and our families involved in serving and giving. Let's not waste these opportunities, but look at them as managing God's resources to His glory and doing with His money, His time, what He's asking us to do. You know, tonight we're actually going to have an opportunity to give. You say, well, we already gave. Well, yeah, we did, but we're going to fulfill this command of taking care of the needy. We are all very aware of the typhoon that recently happened in the Philippines. And Hope Worldwide is right now on the ground serving in the Philippines, um, helping to provide needs and resources, but they need, they need help. And the way we can help is by giving. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take up a free will offering that's going to be sent to the Philippines through Hope Worldwide to help get mon uh, food, resources, medicines there to the Philippines to help not just the people of the Philippines, but our brothers and sisters. We have many brothers and sisters in the Lord who have lost homes, have lost family members, there is suffering. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's do with God's money what He wants us to do. Luke 16, to close out, verse 11. Luke 16, verse 11 says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property? of your own. Jesus is saying, We're, I'm the owner. You're the manager. You will have to give an account. So do something with it. Give. Give to God. <coughs> give to the poor and needy. But manage God's money appropriately. Jesus is watching. If you handle his money faithfully, he will give you true riches, eternal ones. Amen. <coughs> I really genuinely am going after growing in my relationship toward money and things. I hope you will as well. We cannot take this with us, but we can send it on ahead. God is the owner. We are his money managers. Let's take care of his money and put it where he wants it to be put. Let's strive to be more like Christ and give to His glory. 
Look through your spending account this week or your budget. Are you managing God's money in a responsible manner? You know, if you're a guest with us today, just want you to consider your attitude toward possessions and consider the fact that you can't take it with you. So what are you investing in now? Nothing better than the treasure of having a relationship with Christ under his reign, living a free, free kingdom life. Brothers and sisters, let's have a correct perspective toward money. It's not ours. We are his managers. Let's uh, watch this quick video and then I'm going to come and pray for our free will offering.